This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Tampa Bay leading the Blue Jays 6-4. That's in the top of the fifth. Your scoreboard tonight for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. NHL this evening, Lightning leading the Canadians 2-1. That's in the second period. Oilers and Canucks tomorrow. 6.30 face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. 8 o'clock for the drop of the puck. Women's World Hockey Championship gold medal game. Canada and the U.S. tied at 1 after 2. And at the Masters... Just want to make sure I got the uh, updated leaderboard here. Hoffman, Garcia, Peters, Fowler, tied 400 par. Got a tie for the lead. Uh, some text to 630-630. HC says, you guys are doing a real homer job of putting a positive spin on this for Len. The whole thing stinks, and they are going to lose fans because of it. We had too many years of crap football, and it's beginning again. This is Rhodes's fault, not Hervey's. And uh, an unnamed texter says, winning isn't everything, really? Does Len Rhodes know what the fans want? He made a colossal mistake. What does Rhodes want? Does he want an incompetent GM but a good marketer? I think the media is siding with Rhodes because Rhodes is using the excuse of media availability, etc. Rhodes will not find a better replacement for building a championship team. Rhodes' job is riding on this. He may be replaced after this year. This is what you get by having someone like Rhodes, a marketing guy who knows nothing about football, hired to run a football team. Rhodes should have been Hervey's employee, not the other way around. What I see is a non-playoff year for the Eskimos and a further drop in attendance. Well, guys, look, I'm going to be blunt with you here. You're completely missing the point if you think that I personally am siding with Len Rhodes. Len Rhodes spoke today, and I've spoken to other people with knowledge of the situation, and it's very clear, to put it in schoolyard terms, he and Ed Hervey didn't get along. There is absolutely risk to this decision, and I agree, this decision could ultimately affect how long Len Rhodes is employed by the Edmonton Eskimos. That texture is absolutely right. And that's how it goes. Guys in charge of pro sports teams... The team wins or loses or sells tickets or doesn't sell tickets, and that affects how long they're employed. So absolutely. I do want to address something that this person said uh, about the media uh, availability, the media access, which I think is a part of this, though probably a lot smaller part 
than a lot of people will realize. I, I think there's a whole bunch of other uh, things going on in terms of players being out in the community, in terms of fan access, in terms of sponsor access, sponsor perks, things like that. But yes, one thing that did happen is is that uh, the media had limited access to the dressing room after practices. Uh, and the interviews had to be done, you know, kind of on the field as the players were walking off. I don't cover the Eskimos on a daily basis like Morley and Dave. I cover the Oilers on a daily basis, and we pretty much get to go into the dressing room after every practice where, you know, you don't have to necessarily request to talk to a player. If he's back in the shower, you say, hey, can he come out and do an interview? Those requests are met 95% of the time unless for because of other commitments or a family commitment, a player really has to leave quickly. But you also have the opportunity just to walk up to a player and just talk. And sometimes you might say, what happened on that play? What do you think of this team coming up? And if you build relationships, you know, the player knows, all right, the microphone's not on. Uh, I can maybe tell him some stuff. He needs some information. I know he's not going to attribute it to me. But, you know, he's doing his job to find out as much as he can. So... I, I hope you understand as, as, as fans, I don't know where you're getting your information if it's not from people who are in the media. Whether it's a print reporter, a TV reporter, watching a game on TV is still the media. You know, you know so if you're, if you're on board with the media having less access to the players, then you're also on board with you as a fan having less information about the teams and players you passionately follow. Now, again, I cover the Oilers firsthand. And look, I'll use kind of an obvious thing. I think we all knew there was a pretty good chance Connor McDavid was going to be the captain of the Oilers. I know some people doubted that it was going to happen this fall. Oh, maybe he's too young. Why not have an intern captain? Why not give it to Hendricks for a year? Whatever. I can tell you that players on the Oilers told me over a year ago when he came back from the injury, not into the microphone, but they said, he's already our leader. So think what you will. So, you know, you got you to be a little, you got to listen carefully sometimes as a listener, <laughs> you know, you know, and. The, the, I'm going to say here, the best guy at it is Bob Stoffer, And probably many of you listen to him. How many times has he said, oh, I wonder if, wouldn't surprise me if. Maybe he's talked to somebody and has a pretty good indication that is going to happen. That's because he has access. You know, I. so I, I don't know why as a fan you would say yes please please keep the media away from the team that i follow i don't i don't know why you would say that i'm not saying you have to like the media person delivering the story or or whatever but you know if if you don't have that as a fan what what do you have you know, how many people over the last couple of weeks have called in and said, oh my God, Jack Michaels was so thrilling to listen to. Calling an Oilers game. 
He just, he brought the game alive for me. I felt like I was there watching them clinch a playoff spot, even though I was in my car. What if the games weren't just on the radio? What if the NHL decided to ban radio stations from calling games? You wouldn't have that experience, and you wouldn't have that connection. So I don't want to overblow that. I, that's not why Ed Hervey was fired today, but just in general, in terms of that relationship and the little nuggets of information or stuff about a player's personality or, you know, Gene Principe has a picture of a guy, you know, playing junior hockey or, or going out for Halloween when he does his little bits on Sportsnet. That's because he goes up to a player and says, hey, I would like to do this little feature on you. Can you send me a picture? Can I talk to your mom or dad? You know, that's how that happens doesn't just happen by magic. That happens because the media has access to the team and the players. Think about it. 7804960063. We got Brian on the line. Hi Brian. Hey, how you doing, Reed? Doing great. Okay, so I I'm going to kind of jump away from what you've been talking about and talk a little bit about the NHL and the Olympics. Now, I'm going to stir a pot and you're probably going to get a thousand calls, so you're welcome or I'm sorry. But I am absolutely for the NHL not going to the Olympics. And the reason is, is you think about what's going to the Olympics. You look at the, you look at the, the people that do the, the, I don't know what it's called, where they shoot and they ski. and, and they, you know, Okay, and the, the downhill and all those. You look at the support that they get from the Canadian government. You get, you see what support they get from people and everything else. It's diddly squat. And you got millionaire, millionaire hockey players going to get another pat on the back. That's not what the Olympics are about. And I am totally for them having to find new Canadian talent to get to the Olympics and prove themselves and have the NHL look, looking at the Olympics for new players instead of, you know, we've set our best out there and, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong and maybe you, you know, disagree with me, but I'm okay with that. But I would love to know what your thought is on that. So... Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to scout... I mean, well, it depends who's on the Canadian team. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know if Canadians are going to be more engaged in those other sports because NHLers aren't in the Olympics. I think the Winter Olympics are a hockey tournament with a bunch of other uh, unusual events that people don't usually pay That's attention the problem. to. That's the problem. It's turned into another NHL, uh, an NHL thing. It's not. It's not what the Olympics are supposed to be, and that's why I'm. I'm for it. I think it would be great to see a whole bunch of new talent. Coming up from the WHL and the AJHL and and the SJHL and all these things coming in there to play these games because now it's back to what the Olympics was about, right? Well, I hope you can listen at seven thirty tonight. I have Olympian Caitlin Osmond on the show. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking my call. All right, and we also have—is it Kieran on the line? Yes. Hi, Kieran. Hey, how's it going? Good. I agree with you with Hervey. If you put, if you try to, if you, he works for roads. If you, you can't let the boss tell, or the GM tell the boss how to run it. The problem I have is Rhodes does a horrendous job. I have, I have season tickets been going ever since he's, he's been the, the marketeer guy. Uh, they stopped throwing footballs in the crowd. Then they brought these cannons in last year that worked maybe one touchdown out of seven. 
So you never got footballs. The I don't know the environment in the, the stadium has there hasn't been the same for the last five years. So if you want to get rid of Hervey for what he did for basically not allowing the media to do stuff, and also I really hated how he didn't get Moz didn't be mic'd up. I thought that was horrendous. You know, we have a small CFL. We're trying to grow the league here, and you have coaches going out of their way to hurt the league. So I. You know, Maz and Herbie, if that's their attitude, you can get rid of Herbie, but maybe Len Roach should also look in the mirror on his marketing and seeing he's done a horrendous job too. Well, I think Len stuck his neck out here. There's there's no doubt about that in my mind. And I mean, if you're right, it's it's his it's his job and other people, but I mean he's at the top, so eventually everything is gonna filter to him. So I just don't like everyone giving Herbie a pass here for his attitude, you know? You can't go you can't this is the CFL isn't the NFL. We don't have billions of dollars. You have to let the sponsors do their thing. You have to you have to let this stuff happen. And if you just, it's not all about again. It's not all about winning with the CFL. Do you want to win and then have the teams make no money and then it go up? Like, what do you what do you want? So I think there's a good balance. And if Herbie can't do that, then replace him. So, Here, thanks for calling, buddy. No problem. All right, and we got Alan on the line. Hi, Alan. Hey, how you doing? Reed? Good. That's good. Uh, just on this Herbie thing, I think the timing on this is a little bit suspect and a little bit uh, underhanded. They let Herbie build the team and get him ready for the season, and then they boot him, and uh, all in the name of ticket sales. Well, how come if they, you know Herbie wasn't a PR guy? How come they couldn't hire a PR guy then, or you know hire someone who has that side in mind and keep a guy who has a proven track record of bleeding green and gold and building good football teams. I think they made a big mistake here tonight, Reed. Well, the timing's tough. Uh, I mean, like I said, I don't know if you heard earlier, Alan, the funny thing is, I mean, there's going to be the CFL draft. Let's be honest, Alan. It's Canadian guys who might play special teams, right? So the team is more or less set. Um, so that's the funny thing. It's it's going to be Ed's team on the field. I mean, he pretty much assembled the team. Oh, yeah, of course. And then they and get he's not going to be here. He's not going to be here to see it out. Exactly, and you know, I, I, I just, I really don't like that. You know, I think if they disagreed with them, they should have sat down. And as a terms portion of this, I really, honestly, don't think I believe any of that. Just because, you know, that's just an excuse he can use to try and take the blame off of them for having a disagreement. Kirby did well. He's proven himself. Maybe he doesn't want his players distracted. Whatever his reasons are, he has a proven track record that we should believe and understand why he wanted those decisions made. And we should support him because he's a good football player and a good GM. And at the end of the day, all we want to do is win. Alan, thanks for listening. All right, we'll get Jerry on the phone line when we get back at 719. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, this texter says the only things that Ed Hervey blocked were things that he felt would hurt the team. That is doing his job. He had no obligation to the stupid league office and their stupid open microphones. <laughs> Uh, this texture says there was a time when the Eskimos were not only known as a solid football team and community, it was also known as the class of the CFL. Thanks to Hugh Campbell for that. And this texture says the Eskimos need a marching band. We have Jerry on the line. Hi, Jerry. Good evening, Reed. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm enjoying talking to everybody tonight. Yes. You know, I'm a long-time uh, football kid. 
grew up with the Knothole Gang, have had season tickets for a long time. And I really worry about the CFL in general. And the reason I say that, Reed, is uh, certainly I see more and more younger people in, you know, let's say their late 30s coming to the games, or early 30s, I should say. Sure. But, you know, you don't see many kids there. Uh, the Knothole Gang, uh, that you know, or the thing, I know the Eskimos do a big push on that. Every so often they bring in, you know, different players. But, I mean, if you take an example of the Oil Kings, the way they market and get, go out to get kids in the community. Listen, I, I watch hockey and I watch football because, as a kid, I, I grew to like the game uh, because I went to see it. And you see that with, you know, new Canadians that are coming to Canada. They get an exposure, and if you start looking around our ranks now, you're seeing people that are not uh, from here that are now Canadians that are coming and seeing these games. And I, and I think that all these kind of negative things that we have, and I, listen, I'm, I'm, I think Rhodes has got a big head, and I think he, he didn't want to get his head butted. But, and I think that's why Herbie's not here. But listen, these players do a lot in the community and do things. The CFL, and, and particularly the Eskimos, need to wake up here a little bit. Because, you know, once they started um, taking away parking in the area, doing various things and forcing people to come on the bus, that, there's a direct correlation, if you take a look at when all these things started to happen, when the city clamped down, all these things, and attendance dropped off, plus the CFL itself, it takes so long to play a game, they play around, there's so many... You listen to right. older fans like me, Reed. Yeah, I've heard a lot of that. Both listen, both you know, pro leagues, right? NFL and CFL games are taking too long. Yeah. Well, not only that, but you know, you go and you watch the game and you look at the calls and stuff, and it's just frustrating. I mean, listen, make the call and let's get on with the game. It takes too long to play the game, and people get bored. <laughs> and you know, I, I, you know, it's not twenty years ago the CFL didn't even have rights on their. Uh, sweaters and stuff like that. Now they're marketing, doing things. But they need to do a better job of marketing the game, not the stuff they sell. And they need to make it more exciting. And to do that, they have to take a good look at what they're doing. So hopefully they'll do that because it is a great game. It's a lot of fun. But they need to get more involvement with the community. And they need to quit having marketing guys run in the football uh, areas here just to make money. Jerry, I really appreciate your thoughts tonight. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, it's 7.27. we got to do the news at 7.30. Really appreciate everybody who chimed in on the big news today. Ed Hervey fired as GM of the Edmonton Eskimos. Going to be joined in studio by one of Edmonton's great athletes, Caitlin Osmond, recently won a silver at the World Figure Skating Championship. She's in studio when we get back. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6:30. Chat. Oscar Clefbaum four assists last night in that Oilers victory over San Jose. Tampa Bay leading Toronto 6-5 there in the top of the sixth in the uh, NHL. The Lightning lead the Canadians 3-1. That is after two. And the United States leading Canada 2-1 in the third period. Women's World Hockey Championship gold medal game. Speaking of medals, my next guest just brought back a silver 
from the World Figure Skating Championship in Helsinki. I'm pleased to welcome Edmonton's Caitlin Osmond to the show. Caitlin, how are you doing? Great, thank you. It's great to see you. Great to meet you in, in person. This must be a fun week for you, eh? It's been a great week. It's definitely been hard to complain about it. Uh, what, what's it been? Like doing a lot of interviews, getting a lot of tension, catching up with family and friends and rest or what? So so much has been going on this week. So many interviews, so much um, celebrations, um, and just seeing my friends and my family. And I got a new puppy, so it's been a lot of excitement this week. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what kind of puppy? Uh, she's a Cocker Spaniel Poodle. And, okay, and you just got her this week? I got her Monday at the airport. <laughs> okay, you got to tell me how this... So you get back from, from Worlds. It was in Helsinki. Mm-hmm. And what, the dog is prearranged to be waiting for you, or, or what? I actually arranged... Um, I picked her out and adopted her the day before I left for Helsinki. Um, but she was too young to pick up, and I was on my way to Worlds anyway, so I, it worked out perfectly, and she was at the airport waiting for me when I got home. Okay, what's her name? Rasket. Rasket. Yes. Okay, that's awesome. So you come back with the medal. You got the dog. <laughs> I just, I just picture the dog holding up. You know, when you meet somebody in an airport, uh, they'll hold up your last name on a sign to give you. I just picture the dog holding like an Osmond sign or something like that to be <laughs> to to stake her claim. Uh, all right. So when you're back this week after the intensity of the worlds are you like is this just you're not skating this week you're not doing anything athletic or what's that been like this week has been a great relaxation week um it's it was finally the end of my season at worlds uh so i'm taking this week to recover and to get my feet back underneath me and i start for the next season next week Okay, so you dive dive right back in. Well, tell me a little bit about the performance at Worlds. I mean, obviously you're thrilled to get the medal. Did you feel good going in? I mean, were you like, okay, I think I'm going to be on the podium, or what were your expectations like? I, I never expected to be on the podium. It was the first time back to Worlds in two years, um, and a lot has been happening since then. But this season has been a dream season for me. Everything that could go right went right. Um, and heading into Worlds, I just felt ready. I felt ready to get there, ready to compete. And I started my season off in Finland back in October, and I was just super excited to go back. And when I stepped out on the ice, I was ready to compete. I was completely in the moment, and that's what I was aiming for uh, the whole time that I was there was to enjoy the competition. And that's how I felt when I competed. I enjoyed it. So when you finished your, your final skate, you know, and the music ends and you have that moment, did you think, yeah, that was that was good enough? I mean, I'm in the top three. Maybe even I got a shot at gold or what what was going through your mind at the moment it ended? I had no idea what everyone else did. I was the final skater, so I didn't know who had skated good, who had skated bad. Um, all I knew is that when I hit my ending position, I did everything that I could to be able to make the podium. Um, I was kind of really happy that I was last skater because I could sit on the ice for a little while afterwards. I just didn't want to get off. The crowd was phenomenal. Um, but I had a feeling that... It, I did everything that I could and that the podium was in my reach. Where were you going into the, the final skate? I was in second. You're, so you, you held on to your spot. I okay. And you had a teammate, another Canadian finished third. Yeah. Um, Gabby and I have been competing against each other for many years now. Um, and this year she's really pushed me to stay on my toes at competitions. At nationals, she pushed uh, to to win me, uh, to beat me at nationals. And um to be able to be on the podium with her there it was incredible. Okay, so you you get the you get the silver. I mean that's incredible. You've you've been through a lot, and I, I want to ask you about that. But what is it like for you? I always ask figure skaters this: 
What's what's the judging aspect of it like for you? I mean, you could you could feel really good, and you probably have had routines where you you felt really good, and then maybe see the scores, and you might be like, "What?" I mean, if you're those moments, how how do you deal with the whole judge aspect of it? It's actually one of my favorite things to see is people in the kiss and cry when they hear their score, and they're really happy, and then all of a sudden they hear their score, and they're like, "But why?" <laughs> um, and it's something that I grew up with. Like I know the judging system. I know that it's hard to to be in a judge sport, to be continuously picked apart. And if you want to be perfect, sometimes something that you feel is not what they see. Um, so it is really hard, but you just have to deal with it. All right. So you've obviously had moments where you felt... Moments of... Shortchanged. <laughs> both ways. Sometimes I get a score way higher than I think I deserved and other times it's the complete opposite. So you just got to roll with it either way? You just go with it and hope that what you feel is what they see. Caitlin Osmond joining us inside sports on 630 Ched, silver medal at the World Figure Skating Championships. How old were you when you started figure skating? Do you have a moment where you remember being out on blades for the first time? Well, the first time I was on skates, I was two years old. Uh, my sister was a figure skater and I wanted to be like her, so um, that's what I started doing. Uh first time I remember I was probably like four or five years old and whenever music came on I just wanted to skate to it I didn't care if it was my program or not I just wanted to skate uh this was in Newfoundland yes all right so you're growing up there and were you into competitions even as as a youngster like right when you were five six I was uh my first provincial competition actually was when I was seven years old um and from there, I had already said skating is what I wanted to do. I moved to Montreal not long after that for skating. Um, and I was already on my first national event when I was 10. Wow. Okay. So you were good right from the beginning. I, I may have modest, looked like Bambi on the ice, but I had my moments. So what did you do when you were seven? I assume you're not doing any double or triple jumps or anything like that, is it? Uh, when I was seven, I believe I was actually doing a couple doubles. Oh, wow. Jeez. Um, by eight, I had all my doubles. So you were advanced. Well, is that advanced? I don't know. I wasn't figure skating at that age, believe it or uh, not. <laughs> it depends. Sometimes people have an easy time getting their doubles. Some people don't. Uh, for me, it was my triples that I had a hard time getting. I, it was 10 years later that I got my first triple. So, uh, it's so, been even, a while. so even when you were that young, were you already thinking, I want to be an Olympian, I want to be in the world someday? Or when did that level of ambition start to click? When I was that young, I just loved being on the ice and I loved competing. I loved being the center of attention and I would do anything to get it. Um, I actually don't remember ever watching the Olympics growing up. I didn't know there was competitions outside of uh, Newfoundland, let alone nationally um, and world competitions. It just never crossed my mind as a kid. Uh, it wasn't until I was about 15, 16 years old when I started competing more internationally. I mean, my first senior international debut when I was 16 and that's when I realized that I had the opportunity to go to the Olympics and it wasn't until I actually went that I believed that I was actually there but um, it was definitely a different situation for me. Okay what brought you to Edmonton? You were 10 when you moved to or Edmonton, the Edmonton area? Yeah I was 10 when I moved I was living in Montreal to train um, with a coach there with my sister uh, but my parents were working out here so when I was 10 years old I was kind of living on my own um, so we moved to Edmonton to work with a new coach here, but also to be a family. Okay. So you've been incredibly dedicated to this since you were a youngster. That's incredible. Who's been your coach uh, here? Ravi Walia has been coach here at the Ice Palace, and I've been skating with him since I was 10. So we have a good relationship now. What's it like practicing in a mall? It's, 
It has its moments. I I love it. It's warm, which is really nice. Um, and you're continuously working with an audience. Uh, Distraction control is definitely an amazing thing that I've had the opportunity to learn skating at the mall. You never know what you're going to hear or expect or people laugh at you. That one happens a lot, actually. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I love it. So they probably don't realize, like, oh, hey, Canadian champion, Olympic medalist, <laughs> now world medalist when you're out there. Eh? They're just like, oh, because you'll be out there with a group, right? Yeah, we're always out there in a group, and we take falls. There's a lot of falls that happen in practice. So when you fall and hit the boards and people just point down and laugh, I can't help but laugh with them. Right. So <laughs> it's okay. So you've, you've, you've learned that part of it pretty quickly. Uh, what 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 keeps, and I know, and I know you're still quite young, and, and you still got a great career ahead of you, but what, I mean, you mentioned that you just wanted to dance to the music, but what just is drives your passion for figure skating. I mean, what just really ignites you to, to keep going and keep pushing? I love competitions and I love working towards the competition. When I was younger, I, I always hated the practice. I hated everything that you had to put into it to be able to get to the competitions, but I pushed through it. And uh, a couple of years ago when I had the year off with, uh, with injuries, um, I realized how much I still missed the competitions. I missed the shows. I missed being in front of crowds. And that's what drives me every day is to be able to get back there. And now it's just to show the world that I know how to skate and I know I can be at the top. Caitlin Osmond joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, so you're 21. Yes. So 2014 was a pretty interesting year. You got a, you got the Olympic medal and that was for the team competition. Yes. So that was, uh, what was it? You, a male competitor, and was it a pairs as well? I think it was actually one lady. But it was a group of Canadians. It was against a group. There was a group of us. So your <laughs> total scores got you silver against other, and then plus you did the solo competition, yes. right? Okay. So you, that that must have been a pretty big high. Get I assume. Oh, it Olympic was incredible. <laughs> it was definitely incredible, and I had to compete again like ten days after I got my medal, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not ready for this. But oh, it was hard to focus. Eh? It was hard to focus, but I made it. <laughs> Where did you finish in the singles that year? 13th, so it wasn't the greatest. Yeah. Um, I definitely could have done a lot better, but I get hopefully get to redo it next year. Yeah. All right, so that's in the February of 2014. Yes. And then tell everybody what happened in the fall. In the fall, in a freak training accident, I had a nice little break in my leg. I broke my fibula in two places, and I had to have surgery. I had seven screws and a plate put into my leg and uh, a couple of months later I tried to get back onto the ice and it was just really really painful I had a lot of trouble fitting my foot in my skate let alone actually being able to skate I had a hard time standing on one foot again so I had to relearn everything from the basics um, when I was finally starting to get better it started to swell up again and I had a lot of pain again and I ended up actually having to go back for a second surgery to get all the hardware taken out of my leg. My goodness. So the fall itself, was this at the Ice Palace? Yes, it was. And was it, I mean, you said you fall all the time in practice, obviously you're trying stuff out. Was it a more dangerous than usual fall or was it something where while it was happening you thought, oh, this could be bad or was it just kind of a routine fall with a bad result? I don't fully remember. Uh, I remember doing very, very simple choreography. Uh, I had just gotten a new program choreographed, so I was trying to remember all the steps. And when I turned forward, I saw someone coming, so I put my foot down. And when I put my foot down, it just snapped. And I remember screaming and screaming and screaming. So it was avoiding a collision. It was. Score to the band. Okay, so 
it basically wiped out a full season. It did. When I you're did not compete 18, at all. When you're 18 years old. Mm-hmm. How did you, because I know from talking to a lot of athletes, you know, the physical rehab, okay, they got to do it. Athletes are in great shape so they can take the direction and get through it. But a lot of times it's mentally that is the grind because you're out of your routine and you're wondering if you're going to be as good when you come back. Did you face all that kind of stuff? Originally when I fell, I said I was done. I said I didn't have, I never wanted to step back on the ice ever again. I was tired of injuries. I've been plagued with injuries my entire life. Um, but I was always able to come back from them and that one I just didn't think I ever would. Um, so the only reason I got back on the ice is the only time my parents ever pretty much forced me to get on the ice and mainly because they didn't want me to be scared of it. Uh, so I got back on and I was able to get myself back into physical shape and I thought I was ready to compete the following year. Um, but at competitions, they, it wasn't going well at all. I, I tried numerous times and each one didn't work. I ended up missing the world team. I came third at nationals. Um, and then something happened in my off season where I, I just clicked and I said I didn't want to feel that way again I didn't want to feel disappointed so I finally went to go see a sports psychologist and it was the problems that I was having it wasn't the physical pain anymore I was strong and I knew I was Um, but I was scared I was scared to push myself I was scared to compete and disappoint myself again and that's something I had to deal with a lot this year is to get rid of the doubt that I had and to build my confidence that's amazing and I, I always enjoy those stories about what goes on between the years, you know, is as important as what your body can do. At this point in the game, I've done everything physically that I can do. I know everything and I know how to do it all. So mentally, that is what I'm working on the most right now is how to get through all the competitions and to get through all the trainings with keeping my head on my shoulders. That's amazing. Caitlin Osmond joining us inside Sports on 630 Chet. So uh, you got the silver medal. Now, now you mentioned this week's kind of off and you're training the dog and everything. I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so when you, uh, now is it like no major competitions till the fall? It, like, so what, what's happening now into the spring and the summer? Right now it's mainly getting ready for, for the Olympic season. Um, so next week I start new choreography. I get my short program choreographed here next week. I uh, get, and then I had to Toronto to work on a new with another choreographer on my long program. Um, and then I'm actually just heading to Stars on Ice. So I get to travel across Canada doing shows with amazing, amazing people. Um, and that'll take up pretty much my entire month of May. And then it's back to training. The whole summer will be just training, getting comfortable with my new programs. And I'll start competing again September. Okay, so you have a few months off from actual hardcore competition then. Yeah, the competition season, though, is sometimes the easiest training season. <laughs> okay. The off-season is, is painful. Because there's no end in sight. I mean, <laughs> isn't there a Stars on Ice at uh, Rogers Place next it month? It will be. It'll be on May 13th. So who are you going to be out there with? Uh, there's a big group of us. There's me and uh, Gabrielle, who came third at Worlds. And then there's also, for Paris team, we have Dylan Lanubov, Juliana and Charlie, and Megan and Eric. Mm-hmm. Um we have no dancers this year, which is strange in my opinion, but we also have the men. So we'll have Kurt Browning, uh, Elvis Stryko, Patrick Chan, and Jeffrey oh, Bottle. Legends. Very. Man, who, who did you look up to when you were a kid as a skater? Like I said earlier, I'd never watched skating growing up. I, I looked up to my sister. That's <laughs> interesting that you didn't have like an <laughs> idol you watched on TV. That's... No, but definitely I loved Kurt and I loved how much he can perform and fully you can see his passion on the ice no problem and that's what I loved seeing on the ice is whenever I saw skating I just wanted to see passion and that's what I go for have you been to Rogers place 
I've been there, yes. And you're going to a game this weekend? I am. I'm there on Sunday. What are you, are you a big Oilers fan? I am. <laughs> See, you're just grinning when you say, <laughs> you must be. So you would have been uh, 11 when they were in the finals in 06. It was actually the day I moved to Edmonton that they were in the final and they didn't make it. So I'm thinking it was my luck. <laughs> uh, who, who do you like watching on the team? Everyone. Yeah. Um, you just like the winning. <laughs> <laughs> I like winning. Um, no, I love watching watching the game. Uh, I don't understand it very well, so maybe I'm a bandwagon jumper, but I love watching it. Well, you're going to enjoy being at the game on Sunday, and uh, it was it was great to talk to you. I mean, oh, so when, when are we going to find out if you're on the Olympic team? Do we get to wait till the fall? Uh. Actually, it won't be determined officially until after Nationals next year, so it won't be until January of 2018. Oh, we got to wait that long. Yeah. All right. Well, another opportunity for uh, us to have an interview once you make the Olympic team. Sound fair? Perfect. Caitlin Osmond, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. They're going to play overtime for gold at the Women's World Hockey Championship. Canada and the United States tied 2-2 after three periods. The Blue Jays lead Tampa Bay 7-6 in the sixth. The Lightning lead the Canadians 4-2 in the third period. That's the only NHL game tonight. 1-2 page playoff game at the World Curling over at Northlands Coliseum. Canada up 2-0 on Sweden after two ends. Four-way tie for the lead at the Masters. Hoffman, Garcia, Peters and Fowler all minus four. Oilers will play in Vancouver tomorrow. Here's Mark Letestu. we got to work on our starts. Uh, it hasn't been something that's been, especially on the road. I think at home we, we've handled it pretty well. Uh, but on the road, our starts have been great and kind of been getting, you know, behind the eight ball, starting to play from behind, which it's not a great recipe when it comes to playoff time. But Oilers and Canucks on 6.30. Ched tomorrow, 6.30 for the face-off show. The game will start at 8. I will talk to you then. Thanks to our producer, Dave Campbell, the studio producer tonight, Warren Mulvey. I'm Reed Wilkins. Thanks to everybody who called and texted as well. Great show. Have a great weekend. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.